Hello to our listeners and welcome to the eighth episode of the EDSO Policy Podcast. I'm Anita, Junior Policy Officer at EDSO and your host for today. We usually invite experts from our membership and also beyond to talk about the work they are doing in defining the future of the energy system. Today, I'm joined by Franz Janssen, Advisor Smart Grids and Europe at Annexus, to discuss the importance of energy storage. Hi, Franz. Thank you for being here today. Well, thank you for inviting me for this podcast. It's an honor to discuss this important game changer with you. So, first of all, let me set the stage for today's discussion. We all know that the future of energy systems lies in renewables. But harnessing solar, wind and other renewable energy sources will require a more reliable and resilient power grid. In this context, energy storage will be critical. And today we want to discuss its importance in the fight against climate change and the ways in which the power grid of the future will be more technologically diverse and complex. By providing a backup for intermittent renewables, energy storage can provide more flexibility and balance to the grid. And locally, it can improve the management of distribution networks, reducing costs and improving efficiency. In this way, it can ease the market introduction of renewables, accelerate the decarbonization of the electricity grid, improve the security and efficiency of electricity transmission and distribution, as well as stabilize market prices for electricity, while also ensuring a higher security of energy supply. So some have considered to call energy storage an industry within an industry. Storage had clearly to grow to keep pace with the expansion of renewables. And as we know, it can also absorb energy generation, for example, when solar panels produce too much energy during the day and release it later. In this very context, I would have my first question for you, Fons. When the sun stays out for a few extra hours in summer, where do we store the excess energy? And then how do you use that same energy when the grid is in higher demand? Well, in general, we could say store excess energy close to the generation of it. For instance, if you think in, in about the domestic field, store it at home in home batteries behind the meter. But if you think about solar fields or wind, wind parks, wind farms, then we should say store it at that site with batteries or other devices owned by the operator of that wind farm or solar field. And if you think about windmills at sea, I think we should store it at the landing point where the sea cable is connected to the land grid. Those are the most logical spots for for electricity storage because in that way the generation does not completely depend on the weather. But as there is a lack of real incentives to use the network efficiently, most operators lack at least one part of the economical perspective to apply storage. And if they don't do it behind the meter, that is at their side of the meter, we as DSOs could implement a battery ourselves at our side of the meter, just as a network asset, just to operate a network more efficiently. So having the capacity to store power in an asset obviously is bringing a new perspective on the network and management aspect. DSOs can implement storage close to demand and thus optimize the infrastructure and even offset some capital investment to either upgrade the assets or the line themselves as the technology becomes more and more performant. Above that, the cost of implementation of these solutions will decrease. 
this is going to be an interesting part of the deployment of storage where there are going to be more and more opportunities for DSOs to adopt these technologies. But DSOs, when implementing bigger installations, they must make sure that they integrate them well with the community. So my question, how do you see the DSOs adopt to this type of storage? Yeah, now we're talking about storage close to demand. In that case, the issue for the DSOs is like the usual one, not very special. The issue is where to build a secondary substation. But now this substation has to be a bit bigger because the substation has to be adapted to some storage device, being a battery in most cases. In new to build areas, this is relatively easy. But if we want to integrate a battery in existing areas, the challenge is really bigger. That's when the possibilities of smaller devices should be investigated, such as home batteries owned by the customer. Anyway, we have to take into account that in the community some resistance might raise. For instance, because people don't trust batteries, they could be afraid of fire, for instance. Then we have to involve them to find the best possible solutions. And we in the Netherlands, we all already have some good experience with this involvement, but we have to take into account that it takes time, this involvement. On the other hand, with batteries popping up more and more in electric vehicles, in buses, and even in houses, people seem to get used to it more and more. But still, it's a serious issue, and I don't want to downplay it. All right, thank you. Well, how this will continue remains to be seen. Let me flag another point in this discussion. By their very nature, power grids are designed for the fluctuation in electricity demand throughout the day by increasing and decreasing supply when necessary. To this end, energy storage could offset peak electricity consumption periods like in the afternoon or in the early evenings when people are returning from work or school. So according to you, at which level of the electricity networks should we actually integrate storage? It depends. I don't think there is one clear answer to this. If storage is used to flatten the load curve of our networks, it should be integrated close to the consumers or the prosumers. That is on the low voltage level, of course. But when we talk about big solar or wind parks, it's on the medium voltage or, on, or even high voltage level. But storage can also be used to balance energy trading portfolios. Then higher voltage levels are more appropriate, except when the generator is aggregating a lot of flexibility from small, even domestic storage devices. Then it will be the low voltage level again. So it really depends heavily on who and what. All right. Now, is there any concern, though, that energy storage will affect the grid, like cause instability or create potential imbalances of supply? And is this maybe where energy storage and renewable energy intersect? Yes, of course, this concern is real. Commercial parties will use storage to balance the market position in order to make money, of course. And if there is no financial incentives to use the grid efficiently, they will not take the grid into account when assessing what to do to maximize their profit. That can lead to overloading the grid, of course. There was an example in the Netherlands where a project developer planned to build 50 houses in a small area. These houses all came with solar panels on the roof and all houses came with a large home battery in the garage. Then an aggregator wanted to make deals with all new owners to get access to the power from all the solar panels and all the batteries and all at the same time. 
If this is fed into the grid at the same time, the power will then be much higher than what we usually take into account when designing such a grid. This example regards a new-to-build grid so that the ESO can take this into account. But this would be a serious problem if the load has to be integrated in an existing grid. So you see that even when renewable generation is combined with storage, it is still no guarantee for not getting problems. What we really need are financial incentives based on the grid usage. Then not only market positions, but also grid costs. That is to say, grid usage has to be taken into account to assess the expected profits. And that will help us very much. I see. So the right financial incentives are important to make everyone use the grid efficiently. Another question at this point. In the guidance paper on future distribution network tariff structures we published a year ago and of which you were the main author, we acknowledged that since power generation is shifting strongly towards renewables and renewables are following solar and wind instead of demand, production will not be steered by customers anymore. If a tariff is applied to generators, it should then incentivize efficient network utilization. This leads me to another question. Since a renewable energy system is following wind and sun, is it possible for renewables to steer its production? Our view was that distribution network tariffs for generators, when power-based, can boost the application of flexibility and system integration. Still, could you develop this more for our audience and possibly offer a concrete example here? Let's start with your question whether it is possible for renewables to steer its production. My answer would be, of course it is. But actually, it's not about the steerability of the production. It's about the flexibility of the power that is fed into the grid. And that flexibility can be increased by using storage between the renewable production and the feed-in. But storage is expensive and the business case for it is not easy. The value of this storage flexibility comes from electricity price differences on the market. By storing the electricity when the price is low and relieving it at higher price. Now we'll come back to your question on how network tariffs for generators can boost flexibility and in system integration. Well, if we imply such a tariff for generators that is power-based, then the operator of the renewable generator can save money by flattening the load of the electricity fed into the grid. And that's what he can do with a battery which makes the business case for that battery more positive. The same holds for the business case of, for instance, an electrolyzer, which, with which not only excess renewable energy can be converted into hydrogen, but also peak loads can be flattened, which saves money, so generates value as well. That's how network tariffs for generators can add value to these flex devices. Let me say this very clear. Such network tariffs for all generators are necessary to offer incentives to generators to use the network more efficiently. And this is really needed to be able to integrate all the renewable production into our networks. I'll give you two examples from the Netherlands in how this works. First example is a large solar field combined with batteries and a so-called non-firm connection to the grid. That is a connection of which the capacity can be decreased when peak loads occur. With this solution, we found out that the number of panels that can be integrated into the grid 
can be five times higher than without this solution. It's unbelievable, but that's what storage does. Another example is a wind park, a big wind park combined with batteries and flywheels. With these storage devices, the generation profile of the wind park can be improved, the efficiency of the wind park increases, and last but not least, it helps to stabilize the net frequency on 50 Hz. That's three times value added. So it really works. Very interesting. Thank you also for the examples. Before we come to an end, I would have a last question for you, Fons. What would be your argument for why we should integrate energy storage into a broader system framework? Imagine you would have one minute to convince decision makers that energy storage is the missing link to accelerate our path to net zero. What would you say? Well, you already mentioned this in your introduction. There are two main arguments. One, the balancing of demand and supply, and two, the efficient use of the networks. First, let's look at balancing of demand and supply. In the past, generation was fully steered by demand. Let's call this the zero degrees reality from the past. This zero degrees reality is now not possible anymore because wind and sun are steering production more and more. So production follows wind and sun and not demand. But turning this picture 180 degrees and saying that demand should follow fully follow generation is nonsense. You cannot expect customers or businesses to fully adapt their behavior and demand to electricity generation. So reality is somewhere in between, and therefore we need storage to bridge the gap. But now the second argument, the efficient use of the networks. Balancing demand and supply, which was the first argument, can lead to overloading the network. This is already happening in the Netherlands. I think in more countries in Europe, but at least the Netherlands. And then the importance of appropriate network tariff structures come into play again. They should provide the right incentives to use the network more efficiently. And then storage can be very helpful to prevent this overload by shifting energy transport to other moments or by spreading the load in time. So these are the two arguments where it's all about the balancing of demand and supply and two, the efficient use of the networks. Very convincing in my opinion. So before we say goodbye, Franz, is there any final thought on your mind you would like to share with the audience? Yeah, when considering storage and the role of DSOs, we have to realize that the primary objective for DSOs is serving society and not maximizing profit. Combine this with the thought that preventing problems is even better than solving them. Then it seems very logical that DSOs are allowed to own and operate batteries as a fully integrated network component, just for network management purposes, but with the premise that we don't offer storage services to any other party. Offering storage services to others, we leave that to the market. That's not what we do. By the way, this does not mean that DSOs do not want to buy storage services themselves on the market but then only if the price is good and other conditions, important conditions are fully met. And these conditions think about security of supply, for instance, but we should not be forced to buy such a service. We should still be allowed to own and operate batteries. And with this said, we come to the end of this episode. Thank you very much, Fons. 
It has been a very interesting discussion today. Thanks also to the audience for tuning in to another episode of the EDSL podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a review from wherever you're listening. Join us also next time. Goodbye. Thank you all.